Alan Gernon, whose second book was about the transfer market. The first book, Retired, What Happens to Footballers When the Game's Up, published by Pitch, £9.99. Now, interestingly, your publishers work with Brighton and Hove Albion, so they will know players and ex-players very well. Would they have commissioned you to write this, or did you come to them with the idea? Um, I came to them with the idea. And I had a, a almost a breakdown of chapters. I got a mate who's a good designer to design a possible cover. Um, and the chapters and cover didn't really change that much to the finished product. So, they, yeah, they loved the idea. I'd never written a book before, but I'd sort of done my research. Um, and sort of, I wanted to write a book that I wanted to read, if you know what I mean. Yes. I, it hadn't yeah. been done and was something that fascinated me because I'd written written a few articles over here about how Premier League players had become bankrupt which totally like shocked me like guys auctioning off jerseys and things like that and sort of piqued my interest into like what else happens because I, I flicked through sticker albums and stuff that my, my folks had found in their attic from when I was a kid and, and you know I was flicking through and guys that have known their names of I hadn't heard in maybe 30 years and you know, I wondered like what What's become like you know if you pick up maybe the Watford page, Nigel Spackman and who else, Luther Blissett and people like that. George but there was maybe yeah, yeah, there was maybe like nine or ten players on each on each team that I hadn't heard from since they retired. So it just sort of maybe at the start it was more a, a romp down memory lane maybe to see what has become of individual players, but it became a lot more bleak as I. Yes. researched and, and spoke to actual players and experts and the um the cover again, by the way that. sorry the cover is someone uh boots hung up on a clothes peg which i like literally hanging up the boots but yes go, go ahead. yeah and the, the, the shirt number is 35 as well on that image because that is the age almost everyone mentions me you know if we make it to 35 we're happy we, we'll retire happy it was this mythical age of 35 35 that kept popping up so retirement was an even bigger issue for players who had to retire before that through injury. And that was particularly hard to deal with mentally for a lot of them where, you know, I spoke to one former England international that retired around the age of 29 and at, at the age of 39 he was still lamenting that, you know, he still felt he, if he hadn't been injured he could still do a job. So took them some time a lot of them spoke about you know almost a mourning for their the previous life um because they don't know if, if if they're if they're injured and they never play again they, there's this regret that they didn't know it was their last time crossing the white line i guess and it's mm. it was particularly hard to deal with for a lot of a lot of them compared to those who made it to this this 35 and were sort of happy with their lot and retired on their own terms and Lionel Messi by the way 34 yeah. So he should be I'd at the end. Although Ronaldo, 37, Zlatan, 39, although he's a bit of a caricature at the moment. Well, you mentioned your folks, Tom and Eileen. I'd like to thank them for developing my love of books and football. Saturdays as a kid meant a visit to Dundalk Library with my mother. Sundays meant a trip to Dundalk FC with my dad. They were the best parts of my childhood. Uh, I'd better mention my brothers, yeah. David and Thomas, who don't really like football, so might only read this bit. Have they read Retired? I actually don't know. <laughs> But yeah, Dundalk Library is what I wanted to talk about. Uh, did you read football books in that library? Not really, no. It was like Famous Five, um, Enid Blight and stuff, that sort of thing. 
I don't remember really reading any footballs. Like I, I, I get shoot a match magazines every week, but I don't remember much football books until maybe my teens when I read stuff like Gary Nelson's um, Left Foot Forward and Naaman Dunphy's books and, yeah. and things like that. But yeah, it was the typical, typical childhood stuff. Because there wasn't, there weren't many football books. Fever Pitch obviously kicked because it made money. Publishers went, okay, get me ten of those. And Simon Cooper's books started to get some traction. But Pitch have impressed me over the last 10 years. I actually met Paul because I had an idea for a book and he politely told me to go away, which I would have done as well. Okay. Um, but I've come back to a, dec- a decade and 160 podcasts later with an idea about the FA Youth Cup. And I really, because there's no book like it, so I want to write a book um, that people should read. Um, it's nice that in um, amongst the superlative givers in the inner bit in the in a flap of retired is Greville Waterman whom I've had on the show big Brentford fan he will enjoy yeah. this season a lot of these reviews I I never know uh, apart from someone I know about apart from someone on pitch maybe finding them or being sent them or whatever so and then they're all compiled onto Amazon and, and stuff like that so it's it was great because it, like as I said I'd never written a book before my ambition once it started was just get this thing out of the way and, uh, <laughs> yeah yeah I'm the same. after that just re- really just release it and God knows what will happen um, I sort of did a first interview on local radio here and then a guy who uh, is a comedian in Ireland quite well known who is a national radio show saw me tweeting about it or something so got on his show and then Nile Quinn's father-in-law heard me there, so Nile Quinn got in touch with me. And it was sort of snowballed from there within the first, before it was even released, actually. So it was really, really positive feedback initially that sort of, and then the likes of John Terry putting up pictures, reading it on, on Instagram and things like that, and then it totally takes off again, you know? John Terry could manage Dundalk. That would be a good challenge for him, League of Ireland. He's gone from Villa, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, un- he's unemployed at the moment. Well, he's, having, he's on holiday, but I'm sure he'll be applying. Yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. England captain, although it didn't work with Bobby Moore, didn't work with Bobby Charlton, just because you're England captain doesn't mean you're going to be a good manager. Paul Ince is a pundit now. Um, but I love... Bobby Watson wasn't mixed. Um, I've just noticed, yeah. Noel Quinn, comma, retired footballer, brackets, still married, he puts at the end of the forward. That's a nice touch. Yeah. Uh, but he That's said, his own words, yeah. yeah. Alan Gurnan's retired. A stark reminder for all football fans that our on-pitch heroes are often hopelessly prepared for life after the final whistle. I'll give a roll call of um, the players you speak to, who you have a name, but uh, you divide it into chapters. A crippling career. Um, so that's actually, let's do it this way. A crippling career is David Bust, who broke his leg. Yeah, for Coventry. And he was one of the ones that were more, um, I suppose, accepting of it. Um he, he did like his his testimonial was against uh, Manchester United, United yeah. and it was Eric it was Eric Cantona's last game for United, and I asked David if you know he felt a bit peeved that Cantona retired at the same age that David had to choose his own choice, and he said no, I've, I've honestly never thought about that. He just accepted it. He worked his way up the league ladder and from non-league, and was quite happy with his. Um, to make it to the Premier League and, and do, what he, do what he did. And I think he's still involved with Coventry City and yeah. in sort of local projects. How do retired footballers go bankrupt? I guess they need better accountants. George Harrison famously said, if you're a musician, first thing you do, get a good accountant because they will screw you. Uh, but 
Yeah. These are just, this is the young men phenomenon. Obviously, footballers today are so well advised, they've even got people tweeting for them. Um, but in the, yeah. in the 80s and 90s, um, the bankruptcy aspect of it, it's almost frightening when you see footballers, Lee Hendry, Keith Gillespie, Paul Merson, losing all their money. Yeah, and a lot of it is is just poor invest, poor investments or um, retrospective taxation on, on things like um, those, those film schemes. Yes. And yeah. you know, I, I spoke to someone that said, you know, if a captain in a dressing room invested in something, uh, most of the squad would tend to then. So, you know, if, if there's one person at a club, it'll tend to snowball there as well to to other players. So it was. It's I'm still surprised five years after the book was released, uh, every so often there's a very well-known footballer being declared bankrupt. It still, it still amazes me how it comes to that. The, the actual answer is it's not plastics as in The Graduate, but I know, one, I know of one professional whose sister just said, look, you idiot, put your money in property. Don't be reckless. You won't lose money. And he's done that, and he can quite happily retire if he wants. Robbie Fowler did that. Um, Mathieu yeah. Flamini, much more interesting. Have you been following the post-football career of clean energy impresario Mathieu Flamini? I'm, I'm aware of it. I may have read an article about it, but I, I don't know too much about it. But it's, it's certainly um, different from opening a pub. Indeed. Did you go and drink in any of the pubs that these footballers had um, opened? No, I didn't. Actually, there was very few that actually did, did open pubs. Um, Really, I think Mark Ward may have had a pub at one point, former West Ham player who ended up in prison. Which is the next section of the book. How do retired footballers end up in prison? So tell me the Mark Ward story. Well, he, yeah, he was a, a player at West Ham and, and Ericsson. Tipped for an England cap, he probably won one and if he was still playing nowadays. But with, yeah, when he retired, he uh, he's, <laughs> sort of had, had money issues, I guess, and, and went down dodgy enough path which led to um, imprisonment for, for drug offences seven or eight years. But it, typically, the, the players, footballers that end up in prison, it is drug-related, but typically they're players who have been jettisoned by their club in their, in their late teens or, or early 20s who maybe were earning like 900 or early thousands of pounds per week at their clubs and suddenly they have no career and they're offered easy money to replicate, I suppose, their earnings from football, whether it's... Um, and I think at the time I wrote the book, there was about 150 players, former professional footballers in prison, and the vast majority were, were, were these type of guys who had basically drugs meals doing runs from bringing a package from, for example, Liverpool to Newcastle once a week or things like that. And it's it's just basically, I suppose, you know, these players may have been signed by a, a club of 12 or 13. They have no real education. They're let go when they're late teens and their their peers are at college or already in jobs and it's, it's difficult to catch up. And it's, sadly, it's a path that and they get- many seem to... Uh, yeah. Go down. Fall down. Just flick through the book. Chris Sutton, I've completely forgot, was declared bankrupt, blaming bad financial advice on his malaise after he and his wife became embroiled in fraud. His advisor was misleading him and Grinter went to jail. So when you hear Chris Sutton um, pontificating on football matters, at the back of my mind, should I think, well, he doesn't want to be bankrupt again, so he'll do anything he has to to earn a, a crust. So uh, just pundits in general. Do you think they're the ones um, who need the money? 
No, I don't think so. I think it's more so, um, like I do sort of touch on it in the book where, you know, staying in the game and it's what most people want to stay in the game, but there's only so, so many managerial jobs, so many coaching jobs. There's quite a lot involved monetary wise and time wise in getting the requisite badges. So it's probably the easiest option to stay in the game, stay around the game, which is often what the only thing certain players know about like I found the guys who dealt best with retirement and I dedicated a chapter to it were those who had another um, passion running alongside football you know I spoke to guys who were in, in bands Britpop bands guys who became a vicar um, Lee Bowyer at the time was totally um, gone from football and when I spoke to him he was running a fishing lake in France and loved it and had no plans to return to football and now he's Birmingham City manager so oh, yes, and they all they all coped brilliantly. And, and Pat and Evan mentioned it to me. You need a hinterland. You need something else running alongside football. That when football ends, you still have this other thing. And that's I think that's why so many struggle in that they're not really encouraged by clubs to, ha- to have other interests or you know the, that cliche of taking things game by game is. It's quite true in some cases. I could go anywhere from that. I just want to mention Pat Nevin's book, The Accidental Footballer, which is astonishing. Pat Nevin actually has the last word. Uh, Becoming a footballer is what they did. It's not who they are. Um, But Pat Nevin's book is just astonishing. What a story. Yeah, that is is one that I will read. I haven't haven't read it yet, but definitely, definitely read that one. The amazing thing about Pat is he's not a footballer. I want to do it in a Pat Nevin voice. He's not a footballer. He's not. He's a... <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, that, was, that was quite good, yeah. Yeah, I, I love listening to him on the radio because he's so smart and because he went to university and has a degree. And his book is great because he, he said, oh, I just love football. I'm really good at it, but it's not my life. My life is indie rock and DJing and, mm. uh, and family as well, especially. Really strong family unit. Um, did you have more acclaim having written this book retired what happens to footballers when the game's up published 2016 by pitch uh for people who did keep on the straight and narrow who who are married to the same woman for 50 years what did you find uh, yeah i think it was mark ward again that mentioned he was at a reunion of his old west ham teammates and squad and only one of them were still with the wife that they were married to uh, at the time they were all playing together so it's rife unfortunately and it, it, a lot of the time like well, I went into it like maybe a lot of fans might be, might think that it's you know as soon as the the player is uh, no longer earning the wife might dump them or, and take half his money but it, it's a lot more complicated like than that like I spoke about this um, in Japan there's a it's something called retired husband syndrome where you know salary men who often have never really been around the home um, and are working away working long hours uh, suddenly retire and you know they're divorced within a couple of years it's like almost living with a stranger and it seemed to be replicated slightly in, in the football world often oftentimes I spoke to some wives well often the wife, the wife is looking forward to the player retiring to get to spend more time with him and more time as a family with their kids and stuff like that but often they don't um, take into consideration that this transition that the player might go through so a lot of the time they will try and replicate the buzz of football with you know addictions whether it's 
alcohol, gambling, drugs, sex and stuff, and that exacerbates problems in the marriage. And, you know, I did, as you mentioned, I did break down the, the book um, into different chapters, but they're all, you know, totally interlinked. You know, finances can impact um, on, on marriages, mental health can impact on marriages uh, and maybe interlinked and one, one problem maybe may lead to another. The chapter on mental health begins with Richie Sadlier. And when I see that name, I think, oh, he's like a psychotherapist now, Richie Sadlier. Are you still in touch with him? Yeah, I, I drop him a message every now and then. He's, he's, he's quite a... Um, Busy. Well-known pundit over here. He's, he's on RT, um, so he'd be on during the Euros and Ireland Games and things like that. So he's quite well-respected. Um, and yeah, he was one whose his career ended very early he, I think he was maybe 23 or 4 and he was tipped to he was tipped to take over from Niall Quinn probably in the Ireland team he was called up to the squad before the 02 World Cup and then got a bad injury at Millwall and, and tried for a couple of years to, to make his way back and, and didn't and you know struggled for quite a while when I met him he was met him first he was 36 or 37 so it was maybe 13 years after he retires, retired uh, and he said he still has dreams about playing football and you know what could have been so it's it's a difficult one I guess to let go yeah well and sometimes you you end up beating yourself Clark Carlisle's suicide attempts plural I think uh, well oh, documented yeah. and he's been very vocal Clark Carlisle is actually on the um, panel the government panel along with Danny Finkelstein Roy Hodgson and the CEO of, Eret- of Everton Barrett not Barrett Browning something or Baxendale whoever the, she is but yeah, Clark is a very big advocate and his book is excellent um, at just being trapped inside your own head. And we're now seeing in elite sport, Naomi Osaka, Simone Biles, young woman talking about it. But I do think Billy Key is the story that you may be thinking of. He had to, his, his manager let him work on a building site with his family just to get his head back in shape so he could score goals again. Okay. But some players just jack it in. And Watford seemed to be linked to several of them. Marvin Sordell is now retired. Um, there was a kid called Eddie Oshodi who came through the academy and was playing non-league and then thought, can't be asked with this anymore. I think he does play semi-professionally oh, yeah. now. But that yeah. was a big deal because he was so young. And uh, coming up in the book here is the currency trader, Espen Bardson. Yeah, he, he retired, um, I think, in a Tesco in Sheffield. <laughs> <laughs> totally fell out of love with the game I guess and it's funny the first two people I spoke to for that chapter were both goalkeepers um, I don't know if there's a link there but yeah he just he just had enough fell out of love with the game and the same happened with the other goalkeeper I mentioned Shane Supple who was in Ipswich Town Ireland under 21 international I think and chucked it in it wasn't what he imagined Um I mean, he returned to Ireland. He did a bit of goalkeeping amateur for GA here, which is Gaelic yeah, football. Yeah. Um, he may have been Dublin's backup goalkeeper or something like that. And he may ret- return to actually League of Ireland briefly a couple of years back. Um, but yeah, he'd had enough um, of professional football at the level he was at and just decided to chuck it in, which. Uh, which surprised me, I guess. But the more you speak to these guys, the, the more you, you realise that you know it's probably the best decision for them and for their mental health, I suppose. If you were to take the family to Ibiza, would you have an Airbnb in David Bentley's spare rooms? No, I'd go to Marbella. Because that's where he is? 
Yeah. Yes, yeah. thank you very much. That's my idiocy there. Uh, no matter <laughs> where you were, playing golf or sat in a restaurant, it would be on social media that you were drinking. Everything was so focused. The bullshit, the money, the agents, the people, the crap that surrounded the opinions, it all came a bit boring. The playing, I love, but you can't do that without taking on board all the other stuff that comes with it. So I don't know what David Bentley's happier with, playing for Blackburn or living in Marbella with all his money. He seemed quite happy when I spoke to him in Marbella, where he's running restaurants and things like that, and loving life from from what I remember speaking to him. Um, again, yeah, he, he became, I think he mentioned it in the book, it could be a quote, like the whole transfer market being treated like a, a piece of meat, basically, and just had had enough. And as you say, he loved playing football, but just hated the, the whole everything else that went along with it. He did a, a documentary in Ireland where different sporting codes switched. So David Bentley came and played Gaelic football with um, a, a, a club team in Armagh, and an Armagh player went to maybe Sunderland or something like that. And he, he absolutely loved it. it. It brought him back to his, like, what he loved about soccer in the first place, the whole camaraderie and team spirit and, None of that other, as as he would call it, bullshit that went along with There's professional so football. There's so much of it. I don't know how Lionel Messi, maybe the money helps, but and, and the fact that he's good at his job. But it must be so tiring being Lionel Messi with the bodyguards yeah. and the funneling money back to Rosario. It is boring because it's so regimented because you're a PLC. I know businesses can be people, but it's difficult when a person is a business, which is why... It's very interesting, and I hope someone writes this book. I call it the postmodern footballer. Someone like Aaron Ramsey or James Milner. Never in trouble. They do the job. They're family men. They don't disagree with the coach. If they get an offer for a better club, they move on. Um, I think we're in this postmodern age, and I don't know what the reaction is in Ireland to the Marcus Rashford situation. Rashford being held up as this beacon uh, and other people saying, yeah, all his tweets are being written by a PR company. Should that matter? Yeah, it's not something that's huge over here. I suppose it was mainly the whole... He probably would be known a lot for the whole school meals thing last year uh, and things like that. But yeah, I, I, I get both sides of it on my Twitter timeline. And it's not something that um, I really talk too much about. But it's, it is a PR machine that, you know, and that's not to say that players aren't on social media themselves like in the transfer market book I remember speaking to a, an African international who was at Cardiff and said that the first thing players do when they come into the dressing room is check Twitter and if it's if you're being slated that, mm-hmm. that's you for a week you know it's it's really bad for your mental health so he deleted all, all social media apps but he, he literally said every player that's the first thing they do which can't be good really I guess that, that players back in the day didn't have that you mentioned the, the link between fans and players, but it's it's a lot closer when you can tweet abuse at them during or after a game, and and, and it won't stop. For them it's not going to stop. No, I don't think so. no, because of the it, it's the first time in human history that someone in let's say Brisbane has been able to call the performance of let's call him Luke Shaw crap without sending a letter yeah. that gets there two weeks later. It's the world that we're yeah. living in, and it's just about yeah. going through this reset of trying to figure out how best to conduct ourselves in a world of machines where, I mean, without this machine, we couldn't chat about your books, The Transfer Market, Inside Stories, and Retired. Um, So when you've got, um, I think, well, you said you've got children. I think you've got three of them. You mentioned them in the book. Four. 
Oh, four oh, now. Oh, you've got a little one. Yeah. Daisy, Noah, yeah, Joel. Well, who's the other one? Alice. Alice. Very nice. Nice name. My future yeah. sister-in-law is Alice. Are they all football fans, the kids? Yes, I guess so. Uh, my two boys have started playing um, with a local club just this year. Like, they wanted to go last year, but every year was closed. I was COVID and stuff. But uh, my my eldest, my daughter, sports at Chelsea, and mm-hmm. she know quite a bit. Uh, four-year-old, not so much, but... Yeah, they, they take a good interest, particularly my 12-year-old son. I was really got into it in the last last while. He was a budding goalkeeper for a while. So when I read my or wrote my last book, uh, I got Asmir Begovic to give him a bit of advice and stuff. So uh, he loved that. But we'll do a little fancy football league probably before the weekend. And that sort of keeps them interested as well. Yeah, I mean, that that's one of the things that I looked at for my book, The Vicarious Thrills. Of football and fantasy. I'm not going to do it this year. I really am not because I suppose you, you get players saying, oh, you cost me a point or you cost me a bet. They don't care. The players are earning money. Yeah. But it's what you do with that money. And this book, Retired, which uh, does adorn the shelves of the football library in the society section. I think the 300s this goes in. What happens to okay. footballers when the game's up? If you were to write a third book, what would it be on? I had a few ideas and then they, they were done or, or are being done. One was about, um, you know, the next George Best, whatever, and Ryan Baldy wrote yep. the next big thing, which was absolutely brilliant, and I'm glad he wrote it and I did. And I've always wanted to write one about Mexico 86 tournament, but I, I, I suspect or I think it's being done, and I don't know if I would have the time and inclination to dive into all that and what would be involved but I'd love to read it yeah because it shouldn't have taken place in Mexico it should have been Argentina yeah was it Argentina or Colombia was it an earthquake or yeah uh, there are all kinds of societal problems Um, I'm just checking if if anyone has done that book I've got here um, a book written in 1986 a lavishly illustrated record so I don't think 86 82 yes I don't think 86 so I think you've still got a bit of, oh, well, there's Touched by God, how we won the 86 World Cup, and that's by the late footballer Diego Maradona. Oh, yeah, I've read that. So it probably has been done. I think there was one, there was probably, I think there was one done for USA 94, possibly. But yeah, someone should do it. If they don't, I might look at it a little bit down the line, but I need something really that would capture, like, because they take up so, as you know, they take up so much of your time and energy that it needs to be something you really want to throw yourself into and have faith in. I just thought there's no there's no book on the Youth Cup. I'd like to know what happens. Did you know that in the preliminary round, about 450 teams from the non-league sides take part? That interests me. No. I think I'll, I'll get yeah. along to St Albans. And you mentioned Ryan Baldy, who is astonishing. He's got a new book out at the moment, which is um, about how... Um, the youth academy systems either set people up or um, 99% of them leave. So I think there's a, a lot of crossover between them. The Dream Factory, is that? The Dream Factory name? is what okay. it's called. Yes, we talked about it. Yeah. And it'll go up the week before yours. This goes up during the end of the transfer window. Do, when's the Irish LO, LOI transfer window? It slammed shut at the end of July. <laughs> Dundalk lost their captain and recalled a player from loan, and that's about all they did. I didn't see it on the yellow ticker. <laughs> no, it didn't make it that far, no. I, I love to listen to Five Live's coverage. Weren't you in the Five Live studio for the 
the uh, coverage of the transfer deadline day. Was that you or it could have been Nigel? Probably Nigel. I was in Hawksby and uh, Talksport a couple of times. Hawksby and Jacob. I don't think I was in Five Live. I did speak to them over the phone maybe. But yeah, it could have been Nigel. Yeah, I've, I've conflated it. Nigel definitely sat with Deno uh, on Five Live for the, the deadline day. Because... That The transfer page is the most visited site on the BBC Sport website, routinely. I, 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 I contacted someone who, who writes it or is involved in it, and I think, I can't remember, from my book, it gets a million, a million visitors um, at certain points of the transfer window. Mm. Well, it's amazing, because it was either you or Nigel, I think it was you, just the appetite for... New players, new stars, even though Watford signed a guy called Zinkenagel from the Danish club that was doing really well. Signed him, loaned him out six months later. What a waste of time. Um, but these are just assets. Didn't, didn't Watford sign uh, someone this season, or not sign, but like they bought him four years ago or something and he's back from maybe Girona or That's wherever right. else you're linked up with. You but... refer to our Colombian striker, Cucho Hernandez, who has been lighting up La yeah. Liga whilst getting a work permit. And this is, if it works, oh my God, it's going to work. But we've already had problems. There's this uh, left back who I think is actually on the pitch now. I'm going to check it uh, because we're talking uh, around the Super Cup. There's a kid called Estupinian who is currently on the bench for Villarreal in Belfast at Windsor Park. Um, oh, okay. Etienne Capu is starting, the two Morenos. Um, and yes, this kid Estupinian. Uh, is on the bench for Villarreal. He won the Europa League last season and we had to sell him yeah. because he had such a good game against Barcelona that Villarreal bought him for 15 million quid. But if Cucho scores the goals this season for Watford, um, that will mean that the Pozzo scouting model, admittedly there are some duds, Isaac's success, it might be the greatest flop in the club's history. Um, signed when he was about a 19 from Nigeria, um, really hasn't hit there may be other problems, but he's now been here five seasons and nothing's happened. Isn't there another guy as well? I, I don't know how to pronounce his surname, Q-U-I-N-A, who's been knocking around for a number of years, uh, I, kid, but I've never really seen him do much. Keener, um, Keener we had to loan out, but he was very promising at West Ham. I think the one you're thinking of is Peñaranda, who's Venezuelan, played in the Youth Cup oh, final. Oh, OK. Yeah. He, yeah, yeah. He's played like twice for Watford. Really good player. But for some reason, we keep farming him out to Belgian clubs. There must be a story there. I'd love to know that story um, yeah. because it's not working. But he can't get in the squad because we've got two players for every position. Our big signings this season, Danny Rose, Ashley Fletcher, ex-Man U trainee, um, Josh yeah. King, ex-Man U. Uh, we signed a Frenchman called Lussar. Um, and uh, we... We've realised, we've twigged that we need English players for the English game as well. And we've got this core of old blokes like Foster and Deeney who will do other things yeah. outside football. But this manager, Shishko, it's not looking great, I think. And I say that before the season's even started. Um, but yeah, the, that, the Watford model, that, that model must interest you. The global scouting network of Udinese and, and what was Granada. Yeah, but it, it would. if I started researching that, it would... Like totally bamboozle me, I suspect. Um, I just there's so many players passing through that whole system, isn't there? Is it Girona? Um, oh, that's Man City, Washington, which is Italian club. Well, we sold Granada onto Chinese. The, oh, the Granada, City Football sorry. Group are the one that's the one to watch because they've got Girona because Pep Guardiola's brother owns it. 
uh, Melbourne, yeah. Yokohama, New York. There's one in Brazil. Yeah. Uh, my focus is on Dundalk. Uh, I hope you get through to the Conference League. I'll be cheering you on Thursday nights, Channel 5. Please do. You only we need, need us. You only need a, an away goal. You've got the away goals. You just need a draw. Unfortunately, the away goals have been scrapped, which is a disaster oh, yeah. for that two-all two draw. So we sort of, we need to win or win on penalties, but it's typical that that yeah. two-all draw would have been amazing a couple of years back. Um, but we threw away a goal very late on last week, uh, just a lazy defensive header and was capitalised on. But I think they're missing a few players. They've couple of players suspended one was sent off late late in the game last week so quietly optimistic they're, they're total underdogs so let's see what happens indeed i'm just looking at the vitesse squad just to see if there are any chelseas on loan um no you're right there aren't any fantastic well alan gernan um retired and the transfer market who knows if there will be a third book if not you will um, get suckered into Dundalk. There is a Twitter account. Is it Dundalk FC? Yes, yeah. Off the top of your head, how many followers did Dundalk have on Twitter? Guessing 30 to 40,000. 40,701. Since I now oh. follow 14 League of Ireland. Very good. 12 FAI Cup wins. The only Irish club to have qualified for the group stages of a European competition twice. Come on, the town. Very good. That's like the library!